this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair, and on this episode of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friends Paul Zotter and Ken Gregory as we delve into The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. so much for uh, for joining me here tonight for this palaver. This is an interesting one. Um, yeah, so The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, a daunting, daunting task. I remember when we first started to sort of think about and prepare for doing this Genesis segment, The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway frightened me a little bit. Um, and probably even up to the time I started really preparing for it, it wasn't an album that I was very familiar with. I knew the parts that had been, you know, sort of popular. Um, I guess The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway was on the radio when we were growing up to a certain degree. And some of the other parts that that showed up in some of the concert films or, or the concerts themselves. But I didn't know the whole, the whole work. And quite frankly, I was afraid that the the lamb was maybe beyond me, and and I didn't really get it. Like I've I've owned it for a while, and I I'd listened to it, but I I didn't get it. And when we originally started working towards this episode, I if you guys remember, I was actually advocating doing like a salvage.com operation. You know, what tracks can we get rid of to make this a a really solid single disc? And then there was a, a period after I started listening to it where I was like, well, you can just keep disc one and, and throw out disc two. And, and I don't really agree with that anymore either. Uh, fundamentally, I had to, to really work very, very hard at this record. And I spent a lot of time with it, a lot of time with this record trying to to figure it out. And, and I'm happy to say that I was rewarded for that effort because, because now I really, really enjoy this record much more so than I I would have or I did before. So you know there's there's a there's a certain amount of effort here, but there's a certain amount of reward as well. Now, it's interesting when you think about uh, The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, if you go into the, the, the lore on the wikis or, or in interviews or whatever the case may be, it comes across that Selling England by the Pound was a very English record, a, a decidedly purposefully English record, whereas... The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway actually is very American because of, you know, in support of selling England by the pound, the band got to tour America, and that had a very strong influence on them, uh, especially apparently on one Peter Gabriel. 
Indeed, there is only one year in between Selling England by the Pound and The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, which fascinates me because they would have toured for Selling England by the Pound and experienced America enough for Peter Gabriel to virtually adopt it as his uh, lamb country and uh, and write an album about it. Uh, so there, there's really a lot going on, I suppose, in his head and just a lot in prog rock in general. Um, you know, as we uh, will not discuss in the Palaver, um, Genesis Live was released in July of uh, 73. Uh, so they were just so busy in this period. If, if you look, you know, from, from live to selling you by the pound to lamb, they're, they're madmen. They're, they're young, they're, they're hardworking, and they don't give a, a rat's ass about the other guys' wives or babies, apparently. You know, no. By all accounts, they didn't. Um, Ken, perhaps you can provide us though some some context for 1974. Okay, <laughs> so for for for, for 1974 proper, um, early on in the in the year, uh, Kansas released Kansas, and I know Joe, you, you you've got a special spot in your heart for Kansas. Uh, and uh, 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 as for you know, uh, albums named after the band Rush Rush is in March as well. You know, uh, Rick Wakeman has Journey to the Center of the Earth. Got to give him props. Uh, Frank Zappa and the Mothers, uh, Roxy and Elsewhere, Gentle Giant, The Power and the Glory, Electric Light Orchestra, El Dorado, uh, Super Tramp, Crime of the Century. Now, I didn't know we were allowed to talk about Todd Rundgren in, in the Progressive Palaver, but damn, Todd Rundgren's Utopia made the uh, Wikipedia list of uh, prog rock. Uh, maybe I, I need to go down that path. Yeah, I definitely think that you do. Um, I've got a sort of long-distance relationship with Utopia, but I definitely like them. I feel like we're missing something, though. Oh, I'm sorry. Tales uh, was at the very end of 73. Yeah, yeah. Relayer yeah, was yeah. in... Relayer, 74. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you stopped me for that. Um, just because, you know, that's, that's near and dear to us. We spent so much time discussing the merits of Tales and... And the and, and the folly of tales as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, there, a lot happened, you know, um, with 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 uh, Wakeman doing Journey to the Center of the Earth, and then uh, you know, Relayer being um, uh, remind me our, our buddy, the, the, the keyboard player, Patrick uh, Moretz. Yeah, yeah, Patrick is wonderful. Um, and quite a character. I'm impressed as I look through here as you're talking, Ken. I'm scrolling through. Queen put out Queen 2 in March of 74 and then followed up in November with Sheer Heart Attack. Amazing. Amazing is right. Jeez. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, King Crimson's Red, which is uh, a classic. Oh, yeah. If we're talking about Kansas, Kansas, Rush, Rush, can we say Queen and Queen 2 in the same breath? Yeah. All in the first quarter. It was like it was like something happened in the first quarter of '74. <laughs> Get your self-titled albums out there early. Uh, so finishing out '74, uh, 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 Jethro Tull, War Child, uh, Queen, like you said, Sheer Heart Attack, and then finally November, Genesis Lamb Lies Down, uh, uh, and Relayer is actually after that in December. So we'll, we'll, we'll leave it there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, thanks for that context, Ken. There's certainly a lot going on. I can't imagine having to decide how to spend my discretionary income in a year like 1974. But that being said, Genesis, The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, as Ken mentioned, was released in November of 1974, produced by John Burns and Genesis, released on the labels Charisma or Atco if you were in the U.S. and Canada. The band lineup includes Peter Gabriel, Steve Hackett, Mike Rutherford, Tony Banks, and Phil Collins, as usual. Uh, the wikis do credit Brian Eno with enosification, or vocal treatments, on In the Cage and the Grand Parade of Lifeless Packaging, which I find interesting that he's included there. The track listing for this double uh, album includes The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, Fly on a Windshield, Broadway Melody of 1974, Cuckoo Cocoon, In the Cage, The Grand Parade of Lifeless Packaging, Back in New York, or Back in NYC, Hairless Heart, Counting Out Time, Carpet Crawl, The Chamber of 32 Doors, Lily White Lilith, The Waiting Room, Anyway, Here Comes the Supernatural Anesthetist, The Lamia, Silent Sorrow and Empty Boats, The Colony of Slippermen, including The Arrival, A Visit to the Doctor, and The Raven, Ravine, The Light Dies Down on Broadway, Riding the Scree, In the Rapids, and It. The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway is the sixth studio album by the English progressive rock band Genesis. It was released as a double album on 18 November 1974 by Charisma Records and their last album with frontman Peter Gabriel before his departure in 1975. It tells the story of Rail, a Puerto Rican youth from New York City who embarks on a journey of self-discovery and encounters bizarre incidents and characters along the way. During the writing and recording sessions, Gabriel temporarily left the band to work with William Friedkin, which, along with his insistence to write all the lyrics, put strains on the rest of the band. The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway was released to initial mixed critical reception, though it has since received critical acclaim. It peaked at number 10 on the UK album charts and number 41 on the US Billboard 200. Two singles were released in the UK, Counting Out Time and The Carpet Crawlers, while the title track was released as a single in the US. Genesis supported the album with their 1974-1975 tour across North America and Europe, playing the album in its entirety across 102 dates. The album continued to sell and reach gold certification by the Recording Industry Association of America in 1990 for shipment of 500,000 copies. Yeah, so The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. Uh, so The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway is a, is a concept album. It's noted as a concept album. Everyone understands that if you're going to be in Prague in the 70s, you'll have to do a concept album. Very, very cool. However, um, when you go through and listen to this, at least the first several times, maybe a first dozen times, there's a lot of characters and the story isn't immediately obvious what's going on. And so I was very, very excited in fairly recent history to obtain my vinyl copy of this because I knew there was there was extra words, there was extra copy in on the gatefold there. And I'm like, oh, this is going to really help me understand exactly what's going on in this story. And um, yeah, can't really say that's the case. There's uh, the story and the words that are in the gatefold don't seem to line up directly with the story in the music, I think. And it seems to be more related to the story slash screenplay that, that Gabriel was working on in this period. So that's kind of a bummer that uh, that's, that's in there. Um, but, you know, 
again with with regards to the story there's there's certainly a, a lot of story and a lot of characters to sort of get your your mind around and i think that's why it it takes or it took me so long to sort of get it but you know it's it's a it's it's a it's a double lp concept album i mean what more could you ask for right suggest something real quick it'll take about uh 60 seconds. I'll read through the list and you guys just say yay or boo as quickly as you can. Okay. Lamb lies down. Yay. Yay. Fly on a window. Yay. Broadway Melody of 1974. Yay. Cuckoo Cocoon. Yay. In the Cage. Yay. Yay. Grand Prairie Lifeless Packaging. Boo. Eh. Back in NYC. Yay. Yeah. Hairless Heart. Yay. Nah. Counting Out Time. Yes. Carpet crawlers. <laughs> yes. Yay. The chamber of 32 doors. Yay. Yay. Double yay. <laughs> Lily White Lilith. Eh. Boo. Meh. The waiting room. Boo. Meh. Anyway. No. Here comes the supernatural anesthetists. Yay. Meh. Palamia. Yay. Meh. Silent sorrow and empty boats. Meh. Okay. The colony of slipper men. Super yay. yay. Yeah, yeah. When it finally kicks in. Yeah. Huh. The, the ravine. Yay. The light dies down on Broadway. Yay. Yay. Yeah. The theme. Yeah, it's good. Riding the scree. Yeah. Yeah. In the rapids. Ah. Yay. Okay. It. Yay. Hysterical. Okay. Thanks. Okay, that's it. Good night, guys. <laughs> <laughs> So we we really stand, right? We really miss Tom during that part of this episode. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I think we're going to miss Tom a lot on this episode in general. So as we get into this, right, uh, you know, when we when we started to think about this, or I started to think about this, I was thinking about, you know, sort of my experience with this, and and given what we've been talking about, you know, after this tour when Phil takes over the lead singer duties, right? You, you sort of now have this, this discussion that goes on, um, you know, in, is it appropriate or how, who does it better or this, that, or the other thing. And, you know, there were a couple of tracks on this album that I was able to sort of, you know, like I said, I was, I was attached to, or I understood um, earlier than others. Obviously, The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, again, being on the radio, I knew that. What was interesting to me, though, is I had heard, and I forget exactly where I'd heard it, but I had heard live versions of this, either, you know, when we saw them in concert or, you know, from concert uh, footage or, or whatever the case may be. And I always thought it was funny that, that when... Um, when they would do the Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, the song, Phil would add in the extra down, down, downs. And I always thought that was just Phil adding it in until I got into this. And I realized that that actually is the way that even Gabriel presents it in The Light Dies Down on Broadway. So, you know, I guess Phil just took a little bit of liberty there and, and sort of combined the way the two are done. So I, I just always thought that was kind of interesting. I re uh, you're talking about, I don't remember them doing that song whenever I saw them live 
in the 80s. I, I remember them doing The Cage, In the Cage. That was what drove me to originally listen to this album. And when it was daunting, when I, when I knew how daunting it was, I was like, okay, well, I only have to get to track five because that's the, the one I remember from the show. <laughs> yeah, one of the interesting things about this record, right? If you... The, the story itself is, is, at first blush, pretty obtuse. Like, it, it's hard to, to, you know, kind of get something to hold on to that's a fact. Yeah. That, he makes that clear as day. Hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, my initial criticisms were that we don't necessarily identify positively early enough with rail to be, you know, a, 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 a traditional protagonist. And, and, and the fact, and the fact that he, this, this protagonist with his faults is then rescuing John, who we have no connection with either, is a big stretch for me. Um, I, I didn't. I, it's hard to build the love there. It's hard to get to know the people. It's hard to 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 sacrifice your life for someone that you haven't developed. And what I find interesting about this whole record is when you watch the interviews that was done with the band on this it's you know there there's not a lot of love even in the 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 band itself for this particular album which is especially odd given as much of it as they have played over the years right and you know uh, steve hackett particularly has a lot to say about his role on this record and uh, that's not particularly flattering i guess and you know, when you think about when Genesis got together, right? There were there were the, the two sets of, of chums. So there were uh, Tony Banks and Peter Gabriel and Mike Rutherford and Anthony Phillips. And so you would imagine that that Tony Banks, right? He would he would have some good things to say about this. And yet, you know, he he has a lot of negative things to say about this record, which, you know, I just, I find it to be somewhat interesting. I, I find myself agreeing a lot with Tony Banks uh, when I think about this, you know, on the interview. I mean, that bastard just sits there and he just is critical and critical and critical for, like about so many things. Even and himself. That, even Even himself, yeah. But then I'll be like, you know, but there's some really good bits in that one. And then that turned out to be really fantastic. And this was really great the bits. In that. And it's like, that's exactly how I feel about this record. Like, I I hate it, but then I put it on. And I'm like, oh, I love this part. You know, oh, this is awesome. Oh, yeah, I forgot about this. Yeah, I, I you know, I had kind of a similar experience in that when I first, you know, started really getting into this for this, I would sort of pick and choose depending on what I had sort of... Um, you know, been attracted to. So uh, there's, um, there's a lot here, obviously, on this record. And I don't know, given the length that we want to go through and do every song. So I thought maybe I could start it off by giving sort of my 
experience recently with this record, and then maybe we can kind of go through and talk about several highlights and lowlights maybe across the record for each of us. That was uh, something that I was thinking about, if you guys are okay. So as I mentioned, when I was, when I was getting ready for this, you know, I'd, I'd heard The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, you know, in its entirety, probably a couple times. I had, you know, gone through a period probably 10, 15 years ago where I bought a lot of the uh, the back catalog on CD. So I, I'd owned it and I'd heard it, but I, I wasn't really familiar with it so much. And when I started for this, you know, preparing for this segment, like I said, I was, I was nervous. I was, I was feeling overwhelmed. I was feeling intimidated. And the first few times, I don't know that I really, really got it. And, but as the more time I spent with it, and I went through these, these various phases that I had talked about, you know, earlier with, you know, wanting to do a salvage operation and, and just wanting to get rid of disc two, there were some things that I started to sort of leap out at me here and there and sort of across the, the, the page. And as we mentioned, also one of the things that really, you know, was confounding me was trying to pick up on the story. And I was obviously familiar with the lamb and I was familiar with the with the carpet crawlers but it was it was actually the carpet crawlers that really set the stage for everything and it was it was a single line a single lyric that that sort of allowed me to get in there and, and start to to figure it all out and that line in the carpet crawlers was mild-mannered supermen um, and everything that flows from there. And there was just something about that. And I'm, I'm not one who generally gives a crap about, about superheroes or anything like that. So it was kind of weird that I was drawn to this. Um, but there was, there was something about that line. And so I found myself, you know, waiting for that line to come. And so when it, it did, I would get, you know, excited and I would, you know, sing it. And there was just some sort of rush. And then from that, listening to the rest of that lyric and then suddenly all this extra attention paid to the carpet crawlers and the image that Pete was painting became exceptionally clear at that point to where I could see exactly what he was talking about and it was it was exciting it was thrilling and you know the other part to that then is that once you understand the carpet crawlers, the chamber of 32 doors now suddenly becomes accessible. And you're like, oh, cool. I get it. And so everything sort of starts to, to come together. Now, at this point, I was I was also, you know, I was listening to the this album very, very heavily. And, you know, when you start listening to you know, or paying attention to the the title track, the first track, The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, it it really is stage direction for the whole thing. And the more I listened to this record, the more I realized that The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway was fundamentally different in terms of the story quality than the rest of the album. And, and the reason, you know, as I started to sort of 
tease into that, right? And and what Peter does, and we talked about this as well, since the, the lamb is is Peter's or the band's or mostly Peter's reaction to seeing America and and his attempt to capture America. What the lamb does is it it paints that picture perfectly, and and what he does in that with with great emotion and with great clarity is is set the scene for how this story is going to open in Manhattan very early in the morning and all of the things that are going on all of the things that you know are happening at that early hour in a major city like that and that entire song is designed to sort of set the stage right because once you go from that into um, flying a windshield, which is where the switch happens, right? And now you go in. Now, the funny thing about this, as I started to sort of figure this out, it occurred to me that Peter's already given us the roadmap for the story or the type of story that he's telling us. This is, if you look at The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway as a whole, in a lot of ways, it is similar to what was done with Supper's Ready, in that there's some sort of event that happens, and then the the protagonist or the, the narrator, however you want to describe it, then goes into a, a sort of internal journey. And all of these things happen. Now, the beauty of this particular journey, though, is, you know, we already talked about how the story can be hard to follow. So, what I started to think about then was what if not all the story occurs in the same place as it were? What really, really got me, um, and, and my, my current theory, and it, it sort of holds water to a lot of, of, of degrees, but it's, it's not perfect, but what I sort of landed on is this idea that the the lamb lies down on Broadway, the stage is set, Rail comes out of the subway, and he sees the lamb in the middle of, of, of Broadway, right? And everyone's always talking about what is the lamb? Is the lamb real? Is the lamb not real? What does the lamb mean? The lamb could be any number of things, but what I like to think of it as is something happens to Rail when he comes out of the subway, and he ends up like essentially let's just say he has a heart attack or he dies or, or something to that effect and he falls down in the street and in so doing his his mind creates the lamb or the lamb is somehow a lyrical manifestation of whatever event occurs to him and the rest of the story then or at least most of the rest of the story happens in his mind what really got me on this is the name Rail is only mentioned two or three times in that song, but every time that it's mentioned, there it, it like Peter Gabriel ramps up the the way he he expresses that name, and it's to the point where by the end of the song, the last time he says it, it it's almost like he's he's a person screaming to hold on to his identity. He's holding on. He's, he's using every ounce of energy he has to, to keep his very being. He is rail and he needs to hold on to that. And at this point, then 
the rest of the story starts to become a little bit more interesting. So when you look at um, the Chamber of 32 Doors, for instance, that could very well be, you know, someone on a gurney being carried into a hospital. Um, Lily White Lilith, right? If you have nurses in in um, in white uniforms, for instance, and the waiting room. So as well as, you know, it explains certainly that here comes the supernatural anesthetist. So, you know, a lot of these things then sort of come into play once I, I sort of had that that um that that basic framework of of maybe what was going on and you know even at that point then um you know disc two starts to become more important and you know and i think parts of disc um the second half of disc one sort of become a a bit of a red herring i think counting out time is is a bit of a, a red herring awash with whimsy, and maybe it's just the whimsy I don't like, or it could be just a memory he's having while he's being, you know, transported to the hospital, whatever the case may be. And disc two, once you sort of figure out what's going on, it it really what started to resonate with me then was the the Peter Gabriel using water imagery. And so you have a lot of this water imagery throughout the back half of this this album that sort of transports the character through whatever's, you know, whatever he's experiencing. And then, you know, in the end, he's either delivered into life or death. And quite frankly, I don't know. Um, but, but this was sort of, you know, the, the experience that I've had over the last couple of weeks getting ready for this. And, and it, it all started with that one line about mild-mannered Superman. It was amazing that that this happened. And as that started to happen and I became more and more engaged in the story and, and more things started to sort of come into focus, it was sort of like when, you, when you're working on a jigsaw puzzle, right? And you get the, the edges, at least that's the way I do it. You always get the, the outlines done. And then um, you sort of hack around in the middle, and then but something happens, and suddenly everything starts to go. So that was that was sort of my experience with this, and I could be totally wrong. I probably am totally wrong, but the fact of the matter is, this interpretation has allowed me to go from thinking that this album is is flawed and and half of it could be thrown out to actually loving this album and 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 really looking forward to spending the entire in um, time listening to it and and just following along with the story as it goes along so for me it's something that like I said allows me to enjoy this record so I'm going to to take you know that. and and it's um <laughs> you know I, I gotta tell you Joe my mind is blown listening to your your overview of the synopsis of the story and the idea that this is all going on in Ryle's head. I, I, that's the only explanation that helps me look at this and say, okay, maybe I, uh, maybe I need to look at this again, because honestly, I was prepared today to say, you know, the key to approaching the lamb lies down on Broadway is to not overthink it. You know? <laughs> yeah. Seriously, dude. <laughs> my mind is blown so 
you know, and, and I was sharing with you, like, I, you know, I think that was my struggle too. Like it was, it's daunting. I've, I've literally been listening to bits of this for the last 20 some years and, you know, it just, I always kind of drift away and I never really have absorbed this album. And we talked about how brave it took the collective of brave fans, probably 20 years to fully appreciate the greatness of brave. And I'm still waiting on, on this one. But <laughs> the the funny part was I tried so hard over the last month or so, and it was daunting, and I was trying to to connect. But one of the things that I kind of realized as we were going through your your exercise at the beginning, Ken, is that after a while, I probably once I get past, probably once I get past, um, you know, even in the cage, I. I I'm not. I'm not really sure which track is which. You know, I know there's bits I I really love. Yeah. And I know some of it is just like throwaway to me, mm-hmm. just kind of like filler. But I I just start to lose a sense of of you know what's track eleven versus what's track fifteen. Like it's just all the the songs coming together and and the music. And it it was a really daunting experience and has been for a very long time. And Joe, you talked about the tumblers falling for you when I went and read the the synopsis of the story, and and it just it I was just like this is barely even a story, right? This is just this is so mm. this doesn't help me, and I and I actually that's when I walked away from it for a little bit more than a week. I was just like, okay, I'm done. I've tried for like three or four weeks to to find whatever I've been missing over the last twenty five years with this, and then just two days ago. I was doing my normal Sunday cooking and I said, I'm going to, I'm going to put on the lamb. And I just wasn't thinking I was just listening and gosh, the first 10 tracks just like flew right by me before I knew it. I was jamming out to carpet crawlers and I was like, my God, this, this is awesome. And then, then that's when I thought, you know, I, the, the key here is just to not overthink it. It's just to enjoy it. Cause the musical bits are so phen- phenomenal. And, um, and then, and then you come in with this, um, cerebral analysis of, of this story. Well done. This is like a storyboard to me or a comic book and each audio snippet is a drastically different pastiche from the one before. They just keep changing up the colors and changing up the, the textures and the sounds and that you jump unceremoniously from one part of the story to the next. And, and uh, I, I, <laughs> I started thinking this is the Beetlejuice of albums, <laughs> right? Right. And I guess Tim Burton is influenced by weird stuff like Dr. Seuss and whatnot, but it's just, it, it, there's kind of a, a childish thing that's, that's advanced into the adult seventies and in, in, in a weird cartoonish fashion. It, it, it is scary. It is unsettling. What do you think about, um, you know, the character rail back in New York City, particularly the line, I don't care who I hurt? Um, you know, there's just some, some, some odd things we don't typically get from Gabriel in here. A, 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 an aggression or, or, or something that he's trying to, to pull off that's not necessarily Gabriel as we know and love him. Yeah, I I definitely think that that does stand out. And it was one of the things that sort of struck me as I was going through this, because you're absolutely right, Ken, in that 
it is sort of atypical and, you know, trying to sort of piece together maybe what's going on in the story in that regard. And if you mm -hmm. think about this in the sense of it being, you know, sort of um, a, a, a mental trip, if you will, um, you know, maybe it speaks to, you know, I, maybe it speaks to some of the, the experiences that he's sort of half aware of. Um, or it speaks to something that he's remembering. It's kind of like, you know, when you have a a dream, right? And a dream in the sense of when your subconscious is just filing everything away from the week and you get all these weird things kind of together that maybe at first blush don't make sense. Maybe, maybe that's what we're seeing here. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I could almost imagine the rejection letter from readers digest for this story like dear mr gabriel like we're not we're not convinced that this is a, a solid endearing piece of americana um, but we appreciate you writing in this genre and we look forward to your next attempt it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and it is interesting right because you know when reading rutherford's book and he talks about this and and even in the interviews uh it sort of comes out right the fact that um you know besides the fact that peter literally left the band during during this period uh, when he was with the band you know the the band's in one place recording and, and pete's kind of over in the corner um just writing all these lyrics by by himself and you know it we've we've talked before about this idea of you know when you when these bands that we like so much they separate themselves out you know some different things happen and you know it, one of the things that that you know there were a couple of things that really struck me about those interviews and that was you know uh, um tony and 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 steve really just pulling no punches about their feelings about this record and mm. you know it wasn't it wow those feelings and hackett great. Uh, was was kind of checked out as well uh, we know less about his particular situation other than that you know he uh didn't contribute much in the way of writing and he was just struggling to shoehorn himself into what was already there mm. yeah and and it you know it comes across a little differently right like there's there's certainly a i don't know is it a lack of balance maybe or you know I, I don't know what exactly yeah. it is but you know the, the the band themselves seem to think you know, Phil talks fondly about this album in <laughs> in terms of sound so <laughs> indeed. indeed yeah yeah you, you know what's really missing sorely missing for for old Genesis fans is the nature of the 12 string. And it pops up, what, second to last tune? Just just they whip out an electric 12 string just to have it there. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, we're, we're still Genesis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, 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 and we, we, leading up to this, all of our texts were, Hey, turn Tony down. What's going on? I can't hear this music over Tony. What what is this? What is <laughs> this is loud? And 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 oh my God! So, some of this moogie bendy stuff that sounds like uh, amusement park rides. 
uh, one of my least favorite prog rock sounds is when uh, Trevor Rabin plays the skee ball machine. What song is that? I don't know. But um, but but I think Tony Banks outdid Trevor Rabin. The, 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 there's a yes song where Tr- Trevor Rabin turns his, his guitar into a, a skee ball machine. It's awful. It, trust me, it's awful every time I hear it. But but Tony Banks actually does one worse with all this like, you know, just a little. Uh, yeah, I don't know. There's goofy shit that doesn't belong. It, it, yeah. it, I, I'm with you. I'm with. I'm totally with you on that. It, I there is a heavier. I, I call it heavier sound to this. From you know from the get go. And it's it's extremely different when you know listening to these albums in in succession. It's extremely different than everything before, and I and I don't mind it whatsoever. But I but the sound is such a huge to me departure from what what we've just heard in Selling England by the Pound and and what's what's preceded it. But the thing that amazes me is in all of this heaviness, how many, uh, I don't know what the right phrase is, but how many sort of nods to the future show up. And, you know, in the keyboard melodies, like there are parts of this album where I feel like, I feel like I just jumped into like Duke or even Abacab, right? There are just some. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And stuff that just—it's just like wow. They're—they're they're really foreshadowing. Yeah. What is not not just around the corner, but like way ahead, and um, it's it's really interesting. And I th- I think I don't remember gagaing over the the bass tone on any Genesis albums up till this point. Maybe I did, and I just forget. But some of the bass tone on on this record, this spectacular and it's driving and it's you know these guys one of my likes one of my highlights for this is that from a musical perspective from from you know them playing like they are way beyond mastery at this point i mean they are just so in control of what they're doing and it it, that to me is what what drives this this record and what makes it so great is just the mastery of them playing Mm. Yeah, there you know there there are certainly some moments, uh, especially for Mike, where you're just like, yeah, let's let's just shred it, man, which is is very cool to see, because you know you can forget, um, you, you know, it's certainly late model Mike Rutherford is so unassuming, you can forget that, you know, at, at this time at the the peak of his powers, he was a slamming bass player. I mean, he still is, but woo. So and and you know the other thing that you know, I think we have going on when, when you think about the music here with, with a few exceptions, maybe on the second side, what I think musically this, this really does represent sort of a, you know, a a culmination of the first stage of Genesis, if you will. Right. And I think, you know, while it's there, there's a lot of Tony here, um, you know, I, I find, I find a lot of the, of the sound here to be very, very, you know, enjoyable. I think it's, I think it's very solid production. Um, and you know, it, it, it does have sort of a, a decidedly different feel about it, but you know, 
Yeah, and I, you know, certainly I think when you compare it to Relayer, that's that's definitely a valid point. Who's going to argue with that? You know, and, and I definitely think also that there are, you know, that there are some, there are some, some, th uh, there, there are some throwbacks, some callbacks to, um, to previous stuff, as well as I think definitely some, some sort of forward looking moments. So in, in a lot of ways, this, this, Bridges, I think the 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 two eras of Genesis that are on either side of it, and maybe even into the future a little bit. Who knows? Well, yeah, um, in it there's a a reference to supper, and it's not particularly settled. Yeah, definitely looking forward, looking back. Mm. Uh, 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 for me, that that um, foreshadowing of what's to come. The walking bass line in back in New York City always hits me. There's like a chorus mm. on the bass that freaks me out because it's just so demanding. <laughs> and, and yeah, and it's, it, it, I mean, it's good, but it's also really creepy to me. Um, yeah. So, and, and so another thing that, that sort of struck me in watching those interviews, right? Um, you've got, uh, a bit of, of angry young man syndrome. Like there are some raw nerves uh, on the band about, you know, this time period. And, you know, it, by their own admission, you know, Pete, Pete was going through some, some family crisis, right? And his, his child was sick. And so the band were recording in one place and Pete's driving back and forth. And, um, you know, the, his bandmates just, they didn't understand what he was going through and, and they were sort of, you know, I don't know, resentful if is the right word, right? And, and and Rutherford talks about this in the book, you know, and by his own admission, he's like, yeah, we, we really weren't very sympathetic. Um, because they, they didn't they didn't realize. Now, I can tell you, you know, having kids and everything else, before I had kids, yeah, I had no freaking clue. And it's really easy for me to sort of put myself in in both of both of the of the shoes in that story, right? But it's, you know, it, I guess in some ways it's kind of amazing that this album actually came out at all, you know, given given this scenario and and what was going on, right? I mean, it's it's and it's it's quite amazing the frankness with which I think they they speak about this both in the interviews and in the book. <laughs> I love his comments on the interview, and one of the things that that you know struck me, and you you mentioned you know in watching the interview and, and hearing Peter talk about some of the trials he was going through, the the thing that has struck me about these interviews, listening to them in the albums, is that. You know these guys are you know, these these guys have been through all of this and they're talking through it and they're relaying these stories and it at first it seemed uncomfortable and then I I started the way I started taking it I don't know obviously I don't know if this is right or wrong but I almost started taking it as okay here's Peter trying to tell us how he felt and how awful it was to be driving back and forth and not getting support from his friends but they're all kind of over it already. Like it's been years and they are good friends and they, you know, they, they're, you know, all is forgiven. It's in the past. And, and they're all kind of talking about it. Like, yeah, we have to talk about it. Cause we, but it's not, you know, it's just an uncomfortable thing to revisit. 
because it's all kind of like water under the bridge. And, and I kind of feel like late model Genesis, Mike Rutherford is, is kind of like, yeah, you know, all that awesome stuff that I used to do on the guitars and the bass and, you know, everything else. Like all I need to do is just, you know, get out of the, get out of Phil's way and let him sing all these songs and, and let, <laughs> and let Tony do a lot of keyboard solos and, and we're going to have a, a kick-ass album and, and that's great. And, and sometimes I listen to, to some of the things and we'll talk about it when we get to those records. And I'm just amazed at what Mike Rutherford is doing because I've never heard it before because I'm always listening to everything else that's happening <laughs> in the song. And there's just, there's just this wonderful, I don't know, attitude of maturity, if you will, that, you know, I don't have to be big dick Mike Rutherford because this is fucking Genesis and, you know, I'm just going to do what the song needs. And it's a pretty incredible place for any musician to be in, I think. And, and he definitely owns that, owns that shit. It's great. Mm, okay. Love fest here. I'm, I'm going to throw in one little monkey wrench and that's uh, Rutherford and Phil are sometimes independent of each other. And looking back, it's not like we pine for the rhythm section. Mm. You know, it's it's not like they form that cohesive uh, John Paul Jones, John Bottom unit, and they just blended and they were soul brothers. They kept their own personalities and they did their own effing thing quite often. Mm. That might be the nature of, you know, Frog rock, you know, Chris, yeah. Squire, Chris Squire wasn't one to blend with uh, either, you know, Bruford or White, but no, I mean, it's true, but it's kind of slamming in this record. Like, you know, the first half of this, you know, like, I don't know, maybe it's the first side, you know, from the beginning through in the cage. I, I think, I think the rhythm section is, yeah, it's pretty rocking, but yeah, yeah. And I, and I wouldn't mind revisiting that comment when we talk about we can't dance because there are some instrumental sections in that record that I just think it, awesome. I'm still, after many years, I marvel at how everyone's in their spot and everybody's together and, and how tight it is. And, but, um, but yeah, I, 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 it is an interesting point, Ken, because there is some, uh, uh, what, what you said, there is some of that. Another interesting thing that sort of I found as I was sitting here listening to this record, because, you know, it, it, this record obviously occupies a very important and pivotal place in the Genesis catalog in that, you know, after this album, Peter leaves and Phil takes over the, the singing duties, right? And one of the things that really struck me as I was listening to this for this episode is, is really how much um, Phil does sing on this. It, it was, it was surprising to me, you know, how much Phil is there. Uh, it was a lot more maybe than, than I would have anticipated there being. Uh, do you know, or do you, you know, guess with relative accuracy when it's uh phil and when it's pete double tracked in the harmonies yeah i i i honestly don't know i i didn't make any notes to that effect 
Um, but you know, clearly, like one of the one of the areas where it really stands out, though, is in in the the title track, right? Um, both both the uh, the Lamb Lies Down on Broadway and the the Light Goes Down on Broadway. In both of those cases, um, you know, I think there's there's a lot of fill there, which you know, again, I think all of this ultimately led to the um, led led to the the relatively easy transition for fans, right? Because whether they knew it or not, they'd been hearing this for a while. So I, I just thought that was that was kind of cool. One of the other things that that struck me as I was as I was going through this, right? I mean, think about the amount of time that we have put into this, and and I have I have spent a ridiculous amount of time listening to and thinking about this record and and everything else, and and quite frankly, I started from a you know a not spectacular place with regards to my thinking on this record, and. I'm I'm just trying to imagine what it was like being a a Genesis fan in real time and you know imagine going <laughs> imagine going to a show and them doing this and and you know for you know what 80 90 minutes whatever it is just being like what the fuck is going on Yeah, it's not going to work you know uh, no, no one's going to spend a month prepping like we did for sure yeah it's true like and i want to say they started this tour before the album was even released so i think they mentioned that they were playing this live just as the record came out so there's no way that the audience could have even have heard or gotten <laughs> or prepped for it so i mean imagine no matter how much you love a band they come out and do you know four sides of new material i mean yeah, with I, random costumes that don't relate to a story that you know. Yeah, I mean it's got to be it's got to be one of the most difficult things and this is before the height of marijuana consumption in North America. So uh <laughs> they didn't have that necessarily helping them. Um it was it's remarkable. It really it really is remarkable, but you know as this as is we, only 3 years shy of the height. It's true, so they were they were yeah. ramping up. That it, it it goes to you know in my my we were three and four years old right and in my in my brain I fantasize that that uh, it was a much grander time back in then and people people had the creative aptitude and patience to go out for a night and listen to you know four sides of 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 new material that they've never heard before and they loved it yeah I just I still I can't even imagine doing that um you know having that experience live i mean it just it must have been absolutely freaking bizarre right i mean i don't know i ah. mm. right yeah. and you know we hey we witnessed something like this happen we went to the monsters of rock in 1988 and metallica came out and they played a lot of and justice for all and it was still a good two months before that record was actually due out and we sat there and listened to a bunch of songs we had never heard. And, uh, you know, it was like, yeah, we, we, I don't know that I loved it, but I definitely was interested to get and justice for all when it came out. So hmm. you, guys, wanna, you guys didn't invite me. 
You weren't you were you weren't there with us, Ken? You were I think I want to say you drove, Ken. Monster is a rock. At, at JFK, right right after graduation. We went to that Genesis show together. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yep. But, I, I, but right after it was uh yeah. I Kingdom was, come. I was working in a docking scorpions. No, I've never seen docking live. Oh jeez, okay. Really? Damn. Huh. I think I was wheelbarrowing concrete. Wow. Well, uh, before we get too far away from your comment about the singing, um, you know, I because when I when I gave up on this record a week ago, I decided I'm just going to go start listening to Trick of the, Tri the Tale and Wind and Withering. And it, it occurred to me that, you know, the difference is your Venn diagram of the two singers is and this is just from a tonal sound, right? This is in, in no way, shape, or form implicating anyone's vocal technique or style. But I, you know, to me, it feels like you know Peter Gabriel is a screamer who eventually learned how to sing, and Phil Collins is a singer who <laughs> eventually learned how to how scream. To scream. <laughs> and and you um, know, so yeah. the, this was like the intersection of, of that happening here. But one of the things that I really you know, love about this record. And it really hit me this time because we're listening to all of the records in order is that this is the Peter Gabriel that I first heard on Peter Gabriel plays live and, you know, just fell in love with the guy's voice and that the, the way he sings. And like, when I listen to this record, I'm like, yeah, that's it. That's it. Bef up till now, it's been a lot of whimsy and theater and, and his early days, but like, I feel like vocally he's arrived on this record and, and uh, it's catapulting him into the future. So just you didn't like him when he wanted to be the Bee Gees, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There was a lot of experimentation there. Yeah. I'm down. Yeah. It's it. it he's, he's screaming over Tony, but apparently he had no qualms screaming, uh, screaming over anything. I mean, they thought they had some instrumental sections in this, right, Joe? <laughs> yeah yeah apparently they did and that that does come up uh in a couple different places right where the the, <laughs> the band thought they were recording these instrumental passages and then they come back and like you know pete just sang all over everything and it was like you know what the fuck dude <laughs> <laughs> doesn't matter how loud tony is you can turn him up to the maximum and, and pete's still gonna sing over it <laughs> that is the best that is <laughs> that is so that is so great that you know that's one of the things i will say this if there are tracks that are considered connective tissue those are mostly the parts that i don't like can you mention some of the wacky sounds there's just some parts to this that just sound like tremendous wanking to me that is is uh doesn't belong joe i think you you yayed the waiting room no which no you know this reminds me of no i really don't think i did oh you didn't <laughs> oh good okay well i think the waiting room would have been beautiful with a beat behind it like the sounds are so appealing i just want a beat 
and and they're getting a little but it's indicative of the age and it's indicative of theater and movies and and you know brian eno for christ's sakes mm. i mean yeah it, it reminds me of a stephen wilson song from his first album where it's like five five minutes it takes four minutes for the actual song to get anywhere and then and then as soon as you're like okay finally then it just drops and dies off again um but yeah i mean this is this is that i would say that i don't know that it's even the middle third it's probably the second half of the middle third of this album is probably where i start to kind of um fade away but maybe that's maybe that's just part of my journey well the and, story and i mean i mean what does he end up having sex with snakes like yeah. this, the story just goes all wrong. They yeah. should have quit it quit while they were ahead. Yeah, you mentioned you mentioned the the the, the coloring book pictures. Ken and I was thinking, wow, it would be really great to get a the Lamb Lies Down on Broadway uh, graphic novel. Um, although I think the penises held in jars uh, hanging around your neck would be a little would be a little disturbing, even in a graphic novel sense. Yeah, that's awful. That's awful. Yeah, that that's not sort of the uh, the imagery that that uh, you know anybody's really looking forward to, and you know, but that's one of the things about about Peter, right? He he seems to enjoy making these these seemingly inappropriate or difficult to deal with references or lyrics or however you want to say it, right? So yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's not on every album that you're going to get. Uh, penises and jars hung around necks so you know it, it he goes to some some very very interesting places um so you know just kind of you know looking at this um you know we we've been talking for a while so you know maybe we can start to to bring this in but i just i just have some some quick notes here that maybe i want to go over very quickly so, you know, and I, I've talked about some of this already, but but The Lamb, you know, I love the fact, the, the song The Lamb, that it establishes, like, the real-world scene with a very detailed description. Um, and, and we still have the question of what is The Lamb? Is it actual? Is it imagined? If it's real, um, it's a harbinger of something supernatural occurring in a very real scenario. And if it's imagined, why is it imagined, right? Is is it just something that that Rail imagines in his head as as whatever you know is happening to him starts? I don't know. Um, but in, in either case, the lamb becomes our indicator of supernatural, you know, that that's going on. And and there are some aspects to this, um, you know, when you talk about or you know, one of the things that sort of came to mind for me as I was thinking about this and putting this idea together actually was the last temptation of, of Christ angle, right? In, in terms of the whole story being internal in his mind as he's dying. And and part of that that sort of got me there was when Rail's face switches with his brothers in the ravine, right? And and that's kind of a, a weird thing that, that happens all of a sudden. You're like, what what's this all about? And and the question that I have with regards to that is, you know, is is John a spirit guide 
almost, um, you know, and, and Paul, you had mentioned, you know, the Peter Gabriel that that you fell in love with on on Plays Live, which was after security. So is John a spirit guide in in the sense of what's described in San Jacinto, right? So that's something that I, I found interesting. Um, and, you know, so, you know, just there's there's a whole lot to this and, and you know, there's it, it's amazing how I came to be where I am today, starting from where I was, where, again, I was ready to throw out half this album. And now, you know, there are really only a couple of tracks that I would I would really get rid of at this point. And I just I, I really find myself you know, reveling in this album. And, and you know, when I put it on now, it, I'm not trying to get to certain parts. I, I'm really kind of going along with the flow that, that I created. And it's, it's really been quite fun. And, you know, I would welcome the opportunity to get to see this, you know, maybe live in, in some sort of setting or something with, you know, one of these tribute bands or something. I think that'd be really cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good thing. It's a good thing we didn't go through every track, and you know, in fear that we might talk about this for too long. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, this is this is kind of what we do. What you know? What can you say, right? But you know, it's. I do. I, I. I'm happy that you know we we do have a lot to say about this because I, I do think this is a very, very important album. And, you know, I'm, I'm just pleased for myself that I was able to at least figure it out to the point that there was something to talk about. Uh, you know, I was, I was ready to just come in and crap all over this and that would have, you know, that would have not been great. Now, and, and the other part about this as, you know, I, I sort of got into this and I, we kind of talked about this on the, the the text stream a little bit right when you get into the disc two was difficult for me it was probably the most difficult part for me to get into however um one of the things that once you get into it that really stands out about disc two is a lot of peter's water imagery shows up in in disc two and and you know that is sort of a, a very very cool thing and you know, there, there's sort of one aspect of the story sort of there at the end, right? When when Peter gets delivered out and the question becomes, does does Peter or does Rail die or is he in fact delivered, you know, back into his body and, and the the real world, quote unquote, of um, of the opening, right? The arc of the story sucks if he's stuck in the chamber of 32 doors and he, and he goes through all this bizarre conflict just to die. I mean, uh... yeah. And, and, you know, I think that's a really, really valid point. And I think the evidence suggests that, you know, there, there's certainly an uplifting part there mm-hmm. on it. So, well, based on the, the game show theme song at the end, I damn well hope so. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. I don't think. Uh, he can die with a fade out. <laughs> uh, I think my biggest objection around this is 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 the what I'll call. Well, you know, I may have to go back in in a couple of years and and re, you know recall the statement. 
but my what I would just call lackadaisical storytelling. It's just the story, and and I think in some ways, as good as the music is, the story and the music that accompanies it is to me very disjointed. It's it skips around. It's Alice in Wonderland. It's stream of consciousness, and and while that can work, I I over I, in this situation, I I really don't think it works very well as a story. As I said, I was coming here today saying, you know what, the best thing to do is just not overthink it. Just like it for what it is. Let the stuff that just doesn't make sense f- f- go right by you and and enjoy the rest of it. Well, so, isn't this Peter's last concept album? I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. He stuck to song formula for his solo career. Yeah. But, but uh, yeah, so, I mean, I, I think to me, that's that's my as i as i said before i agree with tony banks i think the story ends up being the the weakest part of of this uh this album is uh, is this the last concept album for now duke is a concept album well i mean duke's sort of a a semi-concept album although you know i i kind of i kind of make it one Invisible Touch maybe a semi-concept album in its own way. You're, you're not buying it. No. 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 Once you hear the beer commercial in Tonight, 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 it's all. Oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, we're still doing stuff we don't like about this. Uh, yeah, I, I would just say, you know, uh, the Wooden Room at Stonehenge or Stonesbury or whatever Zeppelin recorded. What's this place called? Hedge? Um uh, Wherever they recorded this, yeah, it's beautiful, and the sound is beautiful. I'm with Mike Ruff, Rutherford, and 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 Paul. You know, uh, we, we talked about you know presence of the music, uh, but everyone's just fighting for screen time, mm. and that's just going to be my number one dislike. So for me, there there are just a couple of things that really sort of stick out, and there are you know there are a couple of the you know, the noisy sections on disc two that I could, could deal without. But the other thing, you know, and this is nothing new. I, I seem to have a problem with Genesis whimsy and, you know, just the way it manifests itself on this record is particularly grating, right? So like counting out, uh, counting out the time is, is a great song, but you know, it just, it doesn't, it, oh, it just, I find it so distracting with the erogenous zones and, and just the, the, the goofy way that it comes across. It, it, it kind of drives me crazy a little bit. Uh, erogenous zones. I love you without you. What, what would a poor, poor boy, boy do? do? I mean, that's that there is something fun about that, yeah. but I, I, I see where you're coming from for sure. Um, it's literal, like uh, 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 Pete wouldn't let anybody else write lyrics, although what Tony and Mike maybe did the lamb part two, whatever. Right. Yeah. But um, it just sounds like he wrote a story and he sang that story over music and he couldn't shift it or adapt it or twist it to make it more musical. It's like some of this stuff, it's just like he's reading a book, you know. And I, 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 there are parts where I get really bored of it. 
Yeah. You know, what's amazing about that, Ken, is that I feel like, I, I feel like, you know, the battle of Epping forest suffers the same uh, problems, right? It's just, um, but what's really incredible about that, what you just said is that we're only, I don't know how many albums, but we're only a couple of short years away from like family snapshot, which is, which is him telling this incredible, amazing story in what, like a four and a half, five minute song that is. And he, and then he just continues to do that uh, over and over again. His whole career. So it's just crazy. Like you're right. Like, the amount of growth that's happening, you know, it's like the amount of growth between these two albums, you could almost say is, 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 is retrograde, right? You know, he's trying to smash all the stuff into, into Epping forest. Mm -hmm. And then he goes and he says, okay, fuck it. I'll just be able to do it on four sides of a record. That's great. <laughs> and, yeah. and it's still, it's, you're right. He still can't, he still can't, he's just doing his thing and it, yeah, so I I love your comment. I think it's it's so true. It's, it's and, and when I'm thinking about it, it just amazes me how far he comes in a, a short time after this. There's a lot just to love. It's just amazing. Um, yeah, I gave up after a certain while. I, I had to stop listening to the beginning just to absorb the end, and then I listened to only the end. And 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 once I absorbed what I could. It was a steady flow of just the stuff that I liked. But I, I would always start at Carpet Crawlers and, and 32 Doors since I don't literally flip vinyl. I'm just doing the, uh, the Spotify. But, you know, that's that's where, where the magic starts for me. Carpet Crawlers, 32 Doors. And Lily White Lilith, like in Palette. But I think story-wise, it like pumps you up like something great is going to happen in the story. Nothing great really happens. Yeah, yeah. And then um, it took me a while to like anyway, but I did. Um, and I just hang on for dear life until I get to the colony of, of Slipperman. And uh, it's Phil's drumming. Like, that is a song that would have stood on its own on any Genesis album, the stuff that they're doing in there. And I guess the arrival is just noise, but a visit to the doctor and the raven are just absolutely brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and The Light da Dies Down on Broadway is so necessary, so perfect. And, you know, it, you could just call it um, the Tony Banks formula. He's recapping the lead track. He's recapping the themes. They're doing all the right things. It works. It's fantastic. Um, and it, I just laugh so hard. It, like, you... you maybe if Rutherford wasn't doing the walking baseline or maybe if Phil was a little less overstated, maybe if the moogie swell sounds weren't happening under Tony's fingers, but you put all those three elements together and it's just, just over the top, absolutely ridiculous. And it's, 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 it's Pete <laughs> honing his craft on the um, simplicity of pop, but he like, is like boring. It's only rock and roll, but I like it. Ugh. Ugh. Boring. Mm. So it, it kind of ends on a, 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 they go out swinging and it's not perfect, but they do it. <laughs> there you go. 
Well said. It's kind of like misplaced childhood. Well said. Yeah. I mean, White Feather, I, you know, kind of doesn't land well. That may be that may be more accurate. I believe White Feather also fades out, which I I you know I don't want to harp on this. There are too many fade outs in this in this record. A concept album should not have fade fade outs of songs. You fucking yeah. do the fucking do the work and and piece them together. Time it out. Um, sometimes a fade out is okay, but there's too many here, and I certainly don't think you can end on a fade out. I mean, yeah. So, and, and I think that's that's certainly a valid point. Um, you know, the the idea of Genesis fade out sort of becomes a recurring theme as we go on. I wonder if there are any additional sort of high points that we'd like to cover here before we close this out. I'm pretty pretty sure I mentioned all of my high points already, so I don't I don't know that I I could add any other other than yeah no that would be a low point so never mind no I think I've mentioned all of them I love Pete's voice I love the musicality and the music and this is phenomenal some tasty bass tones. I think In the Cage has somehow always been uh, a song that just sticks with me. And you know, when they kind of flip to the major iteration of it, it's just so cool. Yeah, kind of the double time part. And then um, Carpet Crawlers also is, it seems like, seems like that seems to be sort of a turnkey or a linchpin or a gateway for all of us in some way, shape, or form this round. Oh, sorry. Um, we talked about the story comic book. I wanted to give a shout out to Nathaniel Barium, who, uh, through him and his donors, put together a very nice black and white animated version of 32 Doors. Uh, he does he does other bands and other songs. But um, if you do like the uh, comic book uh, idea, uh, he's got his characters illustrated with the lyrics on the screen and 32 doors is just my absolute favorite track from this. I need someone to believe in fantastic line. Uh, check out this piece on uh, YouTube, Nathaniel Barium doing 32, the chamber of 32 doors illustrated. I'm going to look for that right now. And I'm wondering if that's the same guy. Does he have an animated version of suffers ready? Cause I, th I remember watching. Yes. yes same guy. Yeah, the, his stuff is really cool. Mm -hmm. All right, awesome. I'm gonna I'm gonna find that. Go, let's go out on a high note. This song is is awesome with this uh, little video behind it. All right, so I think that uh, that just about does it, gentlemen. I obviously want to thank you very much for you know all of the the time and effort <laughs> spent uh, not only tonight but in in preparing for this episode. You know this this was. I'm not going to lie, this this was a daunting task, and I, I think we, you know, we did it in palaver fashion, so thank you guys very much. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Progressive Palaver. As always, we look forward to your thoughts, your comments, your feedback, your questions. And uh, we encourage all of you to reach out and share those with us. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, or, um, or Twitter. We are at ProgPala on all of those or search for Progressive Palaver. You're also welcome to email us. Our email address is progpala, that's P-R-O-G-P-A-L-A 
at gmail.com. Progressive Palaver is available for subscription and download on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts, or presumably wherever you get your podcasts, and we are hosted on SoundCloud. So, until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>